We're thankful for your presence here tonight. I want to echo the warm welcome that's already been extended uh, to those who may be visiting. We're happy for the presence of each and every one of you, especially if you consider yourself a visitor here tonight. Hope and pray you'll set aside time as you have tonight to come back and to continue to be a part of this gospel meeting as we go through the week. Above all, we hope and we pray that God is glorified in what we say here and what we do here tonight. Before I get into my lesson about the gospel plan of salvation, I want to thank and recognize the congregation here at Northwest. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for all the many ways that you've supported me in, in my work of the gospel for the last seven years. Uh, we've been able to go about, do the work of an evangelist, been free to go a lot of different places and be involved in the Lord's work in a lot of different ways. And, and we would not have been able to do that without your support and support of other congregations. So we thank you so much for your love, your care for lost souls, your support of us in our work. Uh, we want you to know how much it means to us. Tonight we're going to talk about the gospel plan of salvation. And the question we really want to get down to answering is this question right here. How are people saved today? Now what I want you to understand before we dive off into answering this question is that there are many different ingredients that are involved in the recipe for man's salvation. And when we set about to talk about exactly how people are saved today, we're not trying to disregard or minimize other ingredients that are necessary for us to have salvation. For example, who saves us from our sin? The answer is Jesus Christ and Him alone. He is the who of salvation. Christ is the only one that can save us. How are we saved? How is our salvation even made possible? Well, our salvation is made possible only by the grace and mercy of God. We are saved by grace. What saves us? That's an important question. What saves us? I'll tell you what saves us. It's the blood of Christ being applied to our soul to cleanse us from sin. Now, Christ, being our Savior and being saved by God's grace and mercy, when we have the blood of Christ applied to our soul, those are very important ingredients that w without those things we couldn't have salvation. Tonight, we're going to talk about exactly how or when a person becomes saved. And when we do that, we're not trying to minimize God's grace. We're not trying to minimize Christ. We're not trying to minimize the fact that He shed His blood. The fact of the matter is this, most uh, religious groups today who claim to be Christian, they believe we're saved by grace. They believe Christ is the Savior. And they believe we're saved by His shed blood. But, you know, when it comes to exactly how a person comes in contact with that blood and how a person secures the blessings of God's grace, that's where we have a lot of confusion and a lot of error in the world today. So that's what we're going to put our focus tonight. And we don't do it. And put the focus here because grace isn't important or Christ isn't important or the blood isn't important. It certainly is. But what we want to clearly understand is exactly how and when people are saved today. To answer that question, I would submit to you that what we really need to do is go back and ask this question. We need to go to the Bible and find out how people were saved in the New Testament. If we can go to the Bible and find out how people were saved back then, we can clearly understand how people are saved today. So to answer this question, we're going to go to the book of Acts tonight, and we're going to study uh, a number of ex conversion examples. 
stories of people who were saved from their sin and converted to Christ. We're going to go through these stories in the book of Acts. And no doubt you've heard many of these stories in the past. Let's spend some time tonight looking at them again so that we can clearly understand God's plan of salvation. What we're going to see tonight is when it comes to the plan of salvation, it starts by hearing the gospel preached. Hearing is an essential element or ingredient in obeying the gospel. The Bible says in Romans 10, 14, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? We can't be saved without hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Having heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, we need to put our faith and trust in that gospel. We need to believe it. In John 8, 24, Jesus said, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. He said, For if you believe not that I am he... You shall die in your sins. It's not enough to hear the gospel. We've got to believe in Christ and who He is and what He did for us. And without believing, we're still under the wrath of God and we're still in our sins. Having believed the gospel, you know, be belief in the gospel ought to motivate a great change in our life. When you truly believe that an innocent man died, and shed his blood to save you from sin, that ought to change the way you think about sin, and that ought to put a different heart and spirit inside of you, a heart and spirit to turn away from sin. And that turning away from sin is repentance. Repentance should come natural to us if we truly believe the gospel. Repentance is a change of heart and a change of mind that results in a change of course or direction in our life. And when the gospel, when we believe the gospel as we should... When it pricks our heart, it motivates us to this repentance. You know, Jesus said, without this repentance, we're going to perish. He said in Luke 13, 3, I tell you, nay, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. The Bible teaches that we also should make a confession of our faith. That's part of the plan of salvation. This is taught in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10. This is where the Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus... And shalt believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. From this passage we clearly see that this confession plays an important part in our conversion and in our salvation. The culminating act of the, the gospel plan of salvation is water baptism for the remission of our sins. Jesus taught the importance of this baptism in Mark chapter 16 verse 16. In verse 15, he told his apostles to go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. And in verse 16, he said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned or condemned. And what we're going to see tonight as we study through these conversion examples in the book of Acts, that as people hear the gospel and believe it, as they repent of sin and confess Christ and put him on in baptism, the Lord gives them or grants them the blessing of salvation. That's the end result of our obedience to the gospel in this form or in this fashion. Salvation. Jesus came to save people. He came to save them from sin. He came to save them from guilt and condemnation and eternal punishment. He came to save us from our sins. In Matthew 1 and 21, this was before the Lord was even born. This was at the announcement of His birth. She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. You know what Jesus means? It literally means Savior, one who saves. 
They shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. What an appropriate name for God's only begotten Son. Jesus, one who saves, Savior, because he came to save us from our sins. Let's start by going to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to read about the conversion of the Jews on Pentecost Day in Jerusalem. And listen, as we go through these conversion examples and we, re we study this through the book of Acts, I think sometimes if we're not careful, these stories just become sort of lifeless the stories that, you know, right there on the page. Do me a favor tonight. As we read through these, let it be more than just a, a lifeless story right there on the page. Imagine these things in your mind. It might help you tonight to imagine that you're a time traveler. And you were able to time travel back to the very day and the very time that these things happen. And just try to imagine being there and being witness to all these things. Let these stories come alive in your mind. They're wonderful stories. They're amazing stories. When we put ourselves right there in the story as a firsthand witness to what was happening, okay? The conversion of the Jews in Acts 2, beginning in verse 36. Now, Peter has already preached the gospel to these Jews. He's preached the death, burial, and resurrection. And Peter finishes that, that sermon, that teaching, by saying to the Jews, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you've crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they, that's the Jews, heard this, notice they were hearers. They heard the preaching of the gospel. They were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words, words that we don't have recorded here in Scripture, but we know with many other words it says, did he testify and he exhorted, saying, save yourselves from this untoward, which means this crooked generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. I want to take a few moments and I want us to notice the ingredients of the gospel plan of salvation that are specifically and expressly mentioned here in the story of the conversion of these Jews. Bible says that they were hearers. They, when they heard what Peter preached unto them, the Bible expressly says that they were hearers of the word. Now the Bible doesn't say expressly that they believed. It doesn't have the word belief or believe or anything like that. Now, I think it's pretty safe to assume that they believed the gospel because the Bible said there that they were pricked in their heart. They were pricked in their heart. You know, that's evidence of the fact they believed what they heard. But, you know, we're, we're just going to do the safest thing as we go through this study. If the Bible doesn't expressly mention hearing or believing or repentance or confession or baptism, we're just going to leave that box unchecked. We're just going to stick with what the Scripture plainly and clearly tells us about the conversion of these individuals. Now, that doesn't mean they didn't believe. Okay, we must believe to be saved. Just that the Scriptures don't record specifically and expressly their belief. Okay? But it does talk about their repentance. Peter told them to repent. 
Peter said, repent in Acts 2, verse 38. We're going to mark repentance there on the, the screen behind me. The Bible doesn't make any mention of a confession that they made that day. Doesn't mean that the confession wasn't made or that it's not an important part of the plan of salvation. Just the scriptures don't make mention of it. Scriptures do make mention of their baptism. Peter told them to be baptized in verse 38, and then in verse 41, it says, Those that gladly received his word were baptized. And the end result of them hearing and obeying the gospel that day was their salvation. Peter told them in Acts 2.38 that if they did these things, they would uh, get the remission of their sins, and that is salvation. The remission of sins. Let's go on and look in Acts chapter 8, and let's study the conversion of the Samaritans. Acts chapter 8, verse 5. Acts chapter 8, verse 5. The Bible says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing, he was, they were hearers, and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and, they, and that were lame, were healed. And there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time, in the same city, used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed, they were believers, when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. That's the conversion of the the Samaritans there. Now notice, what elements uh, of the gospel plan of salvation does the Bible mention in their conversion example? It mentions that they were hearers. They heard the things that Philip preached. They believed those things. The Bible specifically says they heard Philip and they believed what he preached concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. The Bible doesn't make any reference to their repentance or their confession. But you know what goes on to... Uh, make mention of the fact that they were baptized. Both men and women, it says, were baptized when they heard and believed the gospel that Philip preached unto them. So the scriptures don't make any specific reference to salvation. But we know and we trust that they, if they obeyed the gospel, according to the scriptures, they received uh, salvation from their sin. Let's go on in Acts chapter 8, same chapter, and let's study the conversion of a eunuch from Ethiopia, the Ethiopian eunuch. Acts 8, verse 26. This is, a, this is an amazing conversion story. I really like this one. The Bible says, The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is de a desert. It's a wilderness area. It was a... Uh, an area that was sparsely populated. And he arose, Philip got up and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch, which was probably a reference to him being a high-ranking government official, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all of her treasure. This was a, one of the treasurers or treasuring counselors of the queen of, of Ethiopia. This man had come to Jerusalem for to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot. And as he was doing that, he read 
Isaiah the prophet. That's the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. Philip didn't waste any time. The Bible says Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah. And he said, Understandest thou what thou readest? Philip runs up to this chariot, this eunuch in it, and says, Do you understand what you're reading? And what was the eunuch's answer to that in verse 31? He said, How can I except some man should guide me? You know, us evangelists love to hear people talk like that. <laughs> it's an open invitation. Teach me. Guide me. Help me understand this. A lot of people today don't have that heart, don't have that mind. But this eunuch did. And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. So now Philip's in the chariot with this Ethiopian eunuch. And they're going to have a Bible study. They're going to talk about the Word of God. Verse 32, the place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb done before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his, in his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? I believe that was from Isaiah chapter 53. Chapter where we have the prophecy of the suffering Savior who would someday come. You know, these words were written hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ. Yet Christ came and fulfilled everything in Isaiah 53. And that's what this eunuch was reading about. Verse 34, the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? He asked Philip, who's this talking about here? Is Isaiah writing about himself and what he would suffer? Or is he writing about what some other man would suffer? What a perfect setup, right? Just set up perfectly. Verse 35, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. He preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went both down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. It's a very interesting story, the conversion of this Ethiopian eunuch. You know, the Bible tells us here that the eunuch believed the gospel. When they came into a certain water, the eunuch said, look, here's water. He knew he needed to be baptized. He said, what's keeping me? What's hindering me from being baptized? And Philip said, you know, if you believe in all your heart, you can be baptized. And then Philip said, I do believe. Philip was a believer. We also know he heard the word of God. Philip preached unto him Jesus. The Bible makes no mention of any repentance involved in this man's conversion to Christ. But it does mention his confession. You know, that eunuch made a confession, didn't he? He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. 
Philip made that confession, and you know that's recorded for us there in Scripture. His baptism also is recorded. He commanded the chariot to stand still. Had to get out of the chariot to baptize him. Okay, couldn't sprinkle water on his head and call him baptized there in the chariot. Couldn't pour a little water over his head in the chariot and call him baptized. Had to stop the chariot, get out of the chariot, go down into some body of water, be baptized, and then come up out of that body of water. That teaches us a lot about the correct mode of baptism. Scriptural mode of baptism is immersion. Okay, and that's what this eunuch received. He received immersion in water. And when he did that, we, can, we know and we trust that he received the remission or forgiveness of his sins. So belief, confession, and baptism are expressly mentioned there for us in the, in the story of Acts chapter 8, the conversion of the eunuch. In Acts 10, we have the conversion of Cornelius and the Gentiles. And this is another uh, just amazing conversion example. You could preach a whole sermon on the conversion of Cornelius. Well, we're just going to read a, a part of it and make a few comments analyze it a little bit. In Acts chapter 10, verse 43, Peter is in the house of Cornelius, and Cornelius and his family and his kinsmen are all gathered to get together in the house, and Peter is preaching the gospel to Cornelius and the Gentiles. And Peter says to him, that is Christ, give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision, these were the Jewish brethren that had come along with Peter from the city of Joppa, and they were witnesses of these things. They of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Conversion of Cornelius uh, and the Gentiles. The Bible specifically mentions the fact that they heard as they were in that house and hearing Peter preach the gospel. They were hearers on that day. You know, the, Peter preached to them the importance of belief. It's clearly uh, recorded for us there that Peter told them they needed to believe. Now, there's no reference to their repentance or their confession in, in the text, but you know, Peter says, Can any man forbid water that these shouldn't be baptized? And then he commanded them to be baptized. They received water baptism. And the Bible does, does make mention of remission of sins. That if they would put their faith in Christ, they would receive remission of sins as a result of their obedience to the gospel in this way. And so we check those appropriate boxes there on the chart. And we're starting to, to, to build a pretty good chart behind us as we study these conversion examples. We're going we're to keep looking at more. You know, it's my goal to show you every single conversion example in the book of Acts. I don't want to leave a single one out. We want to look at every single one of them. And look at what they teach us about the plan of salvation. The next one I find is in Acts chapter 16. It's the conversion of a woman named Lydia in the city of Philippi. It's a very short uh, story. Not a lot of detail is given, but we want to notice it nonetheless. Acts 16 verse 13, the Bible says, On the Sabbath we, that's Luke and Paul and Silas, and Timothy was traveling with them also at that point. These men went out of the city by a riverside, 
where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, she heard us. Paul says she, or Luke says she heard us, whose heart the Lord opened that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized, and her household, meaning members of her family, the Bible says she besought us, saying, If you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. You know, there's not a lot of details mentioned about Lydia's conversion. It does mention she heard the preaching of Paul. She heard Paul preach the gospel there down by the riverside in, in Philippi. And it does make reference to her baptism. Her baptism. Okay? In Acts 16, we also have the conversion of the, of the Philippian jailer. Okay? A man who was in charge of keeping watch over Paul and Silas after they had been beaten and thrown in prison there in the city of Philippi. This story begins in Acts 16, verse 25. Now, just, just put yourself in, uh, in, in this story. Just imagine being a first-hand witness to some of the things that happened uh, in this story. This is amazing. Bible says at midnight, this is, this is the middle of the night, okay? Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. They'd been beaten and scourged and bloodied for preaching Christ in this city, and they've been thrown in a prison. And they're still praying and sing, singing praises to God. I never had a day that rough in, in doing my work, the work of an evangelist. It might be hard for me to be praying and singing praises to God at the end of a day like that, but that's what they were doing there in that prison, singing praises to God. Verse 26, And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Prison gets to shaking really hard. And immediately all the doors were open. The prison shakes so hard that, that the prison doors all fly wide open. And everyone's bands were loosed. Things get to shaking so much that everyone's chains just fall right off of them. Can you imagine that? Verse 27, And the, keepers of the, uh, and the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, what was he doing? He was sleeping. He was sleeping. He was sleeping on the job. Oh, but all this shaking has got him woke up. The Bible says, when the keeper of the prison awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he wakes up. What's going on? Prison doors are open. What does he immediately think has happened? Well, all the prisoners have escaped, right? It's immediately what he supposes. And then so the Bible says he drew out his sword and would have killed himself. He knew the punishment or the penalty for letting a single one of those prisoners escape on his watch was death. And he just figures he's going to just run himself through with his own sword, save himself the humiliation. He's just going to take his own life because he was asleep on the job. He let the prisoners escape. No reason to go on living. I'm just going to take my own life. Supposing that the prisoners had been fled. He thinks they're all gone, okay? But listen, they're not. They're still there. Paul cried with a loud voice saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. No one had escaped. Prisoners were all there. Everyone was, was there and accounted for. Paul says, don't, don't do anything to yourself. Don't hurt yourself. Then he called for a light and sprang in. 
and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. You imagine all the emotions that this man felt in a very short period of time. You know, he went to sleep in complete control and charge over that prison. He had his prisoners locked up. Didn't have anything to worry about. And then he awakes and realizes he's probably just better off dead. He's about to kill himself. And then he realizes, you know, all the prisoners are there. Paul says, don't hurt yourself. Can you imagine the roller coaster of emotions this man has felt? And it's shaken this man to the core. You know, that earthquake shook those prison foundations, but this man has been shaken to the very core of his being. He falls down before these prisoners. He brings them out. He says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they tell him, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spoke unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house, all his family. And he took them the same hour of the night. This is, this is the middle of the night, remember? All this happened in the middle of the night. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straightway. means immediately. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all of his house. An amazing, amazing story. You know, the, the ingredients in the gospel plan of salvation that are mentioned here, the first one is belief. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? The first thing Paul told him is you need to believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus. He told him he needed to believe. The Bible doesn't make any express reference or mention of repentance. But you know, we see evidence or fruit of repentance in the life of this man. It says he went and took Paul and Silas and went and washed their wounds. He, he washed their stripes. This may have been the very same man who put the stripes on their back earlier that day. Was probably certainly a witness to it. And then... Middle of the night, he goes and he washes those wounds. It's a different man, isn't it? It's a changed man. So we see fruit, we see evidence of repentance, although the Scripture doesn't expressly say the word repent or repentance. It doesn't make many mention of his confession, but you know what does mention his baptism. It took him the same hour of the night, washed his stripes, and he was baptized. He was baptized. Paul had told him that night if he would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, he would be saved. By the time this story was over with, before they invited Paul and Silas into their home and put food before them rejoicing, this man was saved from his sin because he'd obeyed the gospel plan of salvation. In Acts 18, we have the conversion of the Corinthians. Acts 18, verse 7, very, very short passage, not a lot of detail given, but it says... That he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. So these Corinthians, the Bible says, they heard, they believed, and they were baptized. Very, very simple, very straightforward. They heard, they believed, and they were baptized. The Ephesians... In Acts chapter 19, Acts 19 verse 1, the Bible says it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul having passed through the upper coast came to Ephesus. And finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? 
They said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized. This is the second baptism. We might go, we might go as far as to say as they were rebaptized. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied, and all the men was about twelve. The conversion of these twelve men, these twelve disciples at Ephesus, they were hearers. The Bible specifically makes mention of that. He said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They were believers. They believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had received John's baptism, which Scripture says there was a baptism of repentance. So they had repented of their sins. Now, Scripture makes no reference or mention of their, of their uh, confession, but, you know, it does say that they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They were baptized in the name of the Lord. Last conversion example I want to look at is conversion example of Saul. Now, Saul's conversion is found three different places in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 22, and in Acts chapter 26, okay? It's a good study to go and look at all three chapters, all three accounts, and to compare them and get all the details surrounding his conversion. But for sake of time tonight, we're just going to look at his conversion story from Acts chapter 22. Acts 22, beginning in verse 6. This is Paul telling the story now of his own conversion. And it came to pass, Paul says, that as I made my journey... And was come nigh unto Damascus about noon. Remember, he was headed to Damascus to find and arrest Christians. He says, Suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. And I fell unto the ground and heard the voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And they that were with me, says Paul, uh, saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise, go into Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. And when I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. And the same hour I looked up upon him. And he said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will, and see that just one, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized. And wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. You know, in, in Acts chapter 22, Paul was a hearer. He, he heard a special message from the Lord himself. Paul heard the very words, the very voice of the resurrected Jesus. Okay? Paul was a hearer. Not only of what Jesus told him, he was a hearer of what Ananias would later tell him to do to be saved. 
You know, the Bible doesn't make any specific reference to Paul's belief. But we know he was a believer. He did exactly what the Lord told him to do. He went into the city of Damascus and he waited there three days fasting and praying in the house of a man named Judas. The Bible doesn't specifically mention his repentance, but you know, he brought forth the fruit of repentance. He fasted and he prayed for three days. Doesn't make any specific mention, I would say, of his confession, but you know, the preacher Ananias said, and what are you waiting for? And now why tarryest thou? Arise and be baptized. And Paul was baptized that day. Ananias said, Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. When Paul arose and was baptized, according to the word of God, he received the washing away, the remission of his sins. He received salvation. Now, as far as I can tell, we've looked at every conversion example that can be found in the book of Acts. How were people saved in the days of the New Testament? Well, there's your answer. There's your answer as to what is expressly and clearly given to us in the Word of God for the plan of salvation. Now, let's stop and let's take a look at this. Look at hearing. The, the Scripture makes mention in most of these uh, conversion examples of hearing. Hearing is very, very important. Without hearing the gospel, we can't be saved. Look there at belief. Belief is just as important as hearing. The Scripture makes mention of it in most of these conversion examples in the book of Acts. You know, repentance isn't expressly mentioned but twice in these conversion examples. Does that mean repentance isn't important or we don't have to do it? Absolutely not. It just simply means that the Scriptures don't record that word repent or repentance in the process of telling the story of their conversions. Peter told the Jews to repent. If Peter were here today, guess what he'd tell you to do? He'd tell you to repent. In Acts chapter 19, the Ephesians had received a baptism of repentance. We need to repent before we're baptized. It's one of the prerequisites of baptism. You know, the confession is only specifically mentioned or uh, described in one of these conversion examples. That conversion of the eunuch there in Acts chapter 8. He made his confession. He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now, it's just... Just one of these stories records the confession. And I say again, does that mean the confession is any less important? No. It's just as important as every other ingredient in the plan of salvation. Now I want you to look at baptism. Baptism. You know, very, very few churches and preachers have trouble understanding that it's important for us to confess our faith to be saved. And we've really only got one conversion example that, that gives us an example of that confession. But the religious world has no problem in understanding, yeah, you've got to make a confession to be saved. When we get to baptism, the one thing that is mentioned in every single one of these conversion examples, the world has trouble, they stumble, they have difficulty in accepting the fact that baptism is essential and necessary for salvation. Listen, if there was, was any ingredient that we could get, get rid of and, and do away with, would, would it be baptism? The one that's mentioned every single time in all of these stories? How could God be any plainer or any clearer in trying to teach us and help us to open our eyes and see the importance of water baptism? It, it amazes me. It amazes me. 
This, this, we've, we've done a very, very simple analysis of what the Bible teaches. And this is just what the Bible teaches, folks. It's, it's very plain and it's very simple. The end result is salvation in all of these conversion examples, and there are several of those conversion examples that make mention of the salvation or the remission or the washing away of sin as the result of obeying the gospel in this way. I want to close tonight in helping you understand why water baptism is so important. You may have come here tonight not understanding or not knowing that water baptism is an important part of God's plan for your salvation. We've seen how it's involved in all the examples recorded in Acts. Now I want to teach you why that that baptism is so important. In Romans chapter 6, verse 3, the Bible says this, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Jesus died for you and for me. And the Bible teaches that when we receive scriptural baptism, we are baptized into that death. He died for you. He shed his blood for you. And when you're baptized in water for the remission of your sins, you have an intimate encounter with that death that he died on your behalf. Know you not that so many of us as are baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Verse 4, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. When you receive water baptism for the remission of your sins, just like Christ was buried and put in a tomb for you, you are buried with Him. You are buried with Him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You know, God brought Him forth from that tomb triumphantly and gave Him a new life. Resurrection. When you receive a scriptural baptism, you come up out of that water raised to walk as a new creature in the sight of God, a new creation. You're raised to walk in a new spiritual life. You have an intimate encounter in water baptism with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And listen, that, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's the gospel, and that's what saves us today. And we're saved by God's grace through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But listen, this is when, and this is how, we contact that blood and secure that great blessing of salvation. It's when we humble ourselves. And when we submit ourselves to this watery grave of baptism. Now, the religious world and the pre preachers on TV and the radio can say all kinds of things. But at the end of the day, the Word of God remains the same. The Word of God remains the same. It cannot be changed. It cannot be broken. It's clear and it's simple. Why would we not want to have that intimate encounter with His death? Why would we not want to have that intimate encounter with His burial and His resurrection? Why would we not? want to obey the Lord in this way. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never obeyed the gospel of Christ. You have opportunity to do that. Maybe you're here tonight and you walk through these doors in your sin, under condemnation, under the wrath of God. You don't have to leave here tonight in that condition. Jesus came and died, was buried and rose again for you. 
That's the gospel. And you've heard it tonight. You have opportunity to respond to that gospel in obedience by being baptized. And if you'll obey the gospel in the very same way that we studied tonight, you can leave this place and walk out of here saved from your sins. You can walk out with the greatest thing that you could possibly acquire during your time here on earth, and that's salvation. I don't know your heart. I don't know your mind. If you're here tonight and you need to obey the Lord in this way, if you need salvation, we stand ready, willing, and able to assist you with that. Just make your need known by coming forward, having a seat on the front, while we stand and while we encourage you with a song.